Mike, can you hear me? Okay. Isn't electronics amazing how it works? It's just like magic. <laughs> well, let me say uh, thank you for finding this place. Thank you for putting out the breadcrumbs. <laughs> the breadcrumbs, the trail. I mean, now we know that you're really hungry for God's word because you found this place. Right? Somebody said they haven't walked so much since they were in the army. <laughs> this is great. And let me introduce today's movie clip, you know, as we've been going through the Minor Prophets, our series. And by the way, this is our last lesson in this series. Just so you'll remember, put it down. This is our last lesson in this series. And our next series begins February 4th. So if you have a, a place to write a note to yourself, we will be sending you emails, but February 4th we'll begin a new series, and, we're and the series will be to be determined. <laughs> so if you have any suggestions about something you'd like to study, send them to me, send me the suggestions. So far, after 15 years, I've never followed one yet. But you never know. It's worth a try. All right, our movie clip today. You know, the, the series has been, you know, the, it depicts the people, it depicts us, and we're really a lot lost, like a lost animal, like a lost bear cub, while the adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the prophets all tell these poor people, God is watching, God knows what's going on, God loves you, He cares, and in the end, and this is what's important, especially in today's lesson, in the end, God will deliver us. Our deliverer will come and save us at the end. Uh, yay! There's nothing scarier than a mother fighting for its bear cub, right? All these ladies are going, yeah. All right. Let me see if I can get this off. All right. The lesson today is about the fulfilled prophecies from the minor prophets in the first coming, Jesus Christ, first coming of the Messiah. And we've been studying all the minor prophets, and each one of them has basically had that same message that God is sending judgment upon his people for good reason. Their immoral behavior, all the sins they've been involved in, the idolatry and what have you. But it also ha always had a positive spin to it as well in the end. That in the end, God is still watching, he still loves his people, and he's going to redeem them and bring them back and restore them by sending the Messiah. Now, the Messiah is Hebrew for the anointed one of God. You know the word in Greek as Christ also means in Greek, the anointed one of God. And so that's really what all the prophets are about is that twofold message of that warning of imminent judgment 
But in the end, God's going to send the Messiah, the Christ, into the world to redeem and restore his people. And so that's the, that's the big message. And the prophets that God sent were men raised up by God in the midst of a decadent, immoral time when neither priest nor king was worthy of speaking God's word or even interested in it. They weren't a channel for God to speak to his people at that time, so he had to send prophets. He raised these men up in these difficult, immoral times. The uniqueness of the prophets was the accuracy of everything they said. So if you, you know, those fact-check deals you probably saw in the newspaper every day during the election, these guys would have scored a perfect record. Because when you go back and look at all their prophecies, both from the near view, okay, what's going to happen in the short run? God's going to raise up a nation. The last three weeks we saw that he's talking about Babylon crushing Jerusalem and taking them into exile in the Babylonian captivity. And we know historically that that all happened. So all of their short-term message came, came to pass. And we know that everything they said about the first coming of the Messiah has come to pass. And so now we're looking forward to that future message that they all predicted when the Messiah would come again, and this time to rule and reign as king. And so that's the message of all the prophets we've looked at, and they've all been 100% accurate so far. And just like Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, Moses defined a prophet. He predicted that God would have to send prophets, and he said... When a prophet speaks in the name of God, it will always come true. If it doesn't, be sure it's a false prophet, a false teacher. And so today, it's interesting to see how interested people are in predicting the future and, and finding out you know, what's going to happen. People call the psychic hotline. They read horoscopes. They like to have their fortunes told at parties. You know that. They just are fascinated about what's going to happen in the, in the future and people who try to predict it. Everybody wants to know, you know what tomorrow's Wall Street Journal says so they'll know what to invest in today. Everybody wants to predict. But the truth is that man cannot predict the future. He cannot even guess the future. If you look at statistics that all these supposed psychics and people who tell the future, they're wrong 98% of the time. If you didn't even try, you could probably be right about something, more than 2%, right? But these guys are always have been wrong, and this is why none of the so-called psychics has ever won the lottery. Anybody else notice that? I always wondered about that. So, uh, and my favorite, though, is the government economists. You know, they're trying to predict what, where the economy's going, and it turns out the government economists can't even predict the past. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You know, when you come out, you know, and they say, okay, for the past quarter, you know, the uh, unemployment has been this, and the manufacturing has been that, and the gross national product has been that. And then a couple of months later, they come out and go, well, we've got to revise all those numbers. <laughs> they can't even predict the past. And so mankind is notoriously pitiful when it comes to predictions, which just tells us when we've got all these predictions in the Bible, it has to be from God. There's no other way to explain it. It couldn't be from men. So 
when you think about what the prophets did and the risks they took, they didn't just make general broad comments that were, you know, that were easily done. They gave minute details. And you, this is called the, the law. What makes this really difficult is the law of the compound probability. In other words, every time you add something to prediction, that makes it that much harder for it to come true. Uh, example, of, you know, if you're trying to predict the weather, you predict that it will rain tomorrow. Well, you're probably 50-50 on that. It either will or it won't. But if you add the time that the rain will begin, if you add how much it will rain, when it will stop, the more details you add, the more you compound the probability of it being wrong. So that's the problem. If you just keep adding things to the prediction, after a while it becomes impossible to predict. Therefore, as I said, only God could do it. For instance, let's just say that 2,700 years ago, let's just say that 2,700 years ago, prophets predicted that a savior and king would come into the world. Well, that would be a broad concept, right? But what if they started throwing in some details to it? That would really start to impress us and also increase the risk of being right. So how about these details? One, this king would be Jewish. Then also he would be a descendant specifically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then even closer, more details, he'd be from the tribe of Judah. You know, Jacob had 12 sons, so there were 12 tribes, but he would be from the tribe of Judah. And then within the tribe of Judah, he would be from the family of David, and there was hundreds of families in the tribe of Judah, but he'd be specifically from the family of David. And here's a really awesome, narrowing it down. He would be born of a virgin. Now, there's definitely a risk involved in predicting that one. <laughs> he would also be born in a specific little village out of hundreds of villages in Israel. It said he would be born in Bethlehem. He would also, even though he was born there and he would be from Nazareth, he would actually have his ministry up north of the Sea of Galilee where the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali had settled back when... Uh, the Israelis came in and conquered the land. So that's that little area northwest of the Sea of Galilee, which just so happens if you look in your gospel accounts, that's where Jesus did about 90% of his ministry, up in that area. So he would be ministering in Galilee. He would be introduced by a prophet who would be just like Elijah, look like him, sound like him, same message. And of course, that ended up being John the Baptist. And then when he came to Jerusalem... We call it the triumphal entry. He would ride in, the king would ride in on a donkey's colt. That's fairly risky since most kings want to come in in a mighty steed, you know, riding a horse like Bucephalus or something, if you're Alexander the Great. Or if you're Caesar, you come in in a gold chariot. Or if you're our president, you come in a limousine, Air Force One in a limousine. So it's pretty risky to say he's coming in on a donkey's colt, right? Uh, but not only that, it goes on to say that the crowd would even sing to him Hosanna in the highest, meaning save us in Hebrew. And then also th throw in things like that he would be betrayed by a friend 
who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Those are pretty strong details to keep adding to all these predictions. It gets very risky. And then we're told by the prophets that he would be crucified with criminals on either side, but he would then be buried in a rich man's grave. And then, again, very difficult to predict, he would be resurrected from the dead. That's very risky. All these were predicted by the Old Testament prophets. See? So, pretty incredible that all of this came true. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, even predicted the reason that all these things would occur. That they would happen. Why? For the what he called the vicarious atonement in Isaiah 53. The vicarious atonement. What does that mean? That Jesus took our place. He died for our sins. That's what this whole thing was about. So that we could be forgiven based on what he did. Based on what Jesus did. So you talk about compounding the probabilities with details. Wow, that's amazing. So now, we're familiar with all the wonderful stories in the gospel account of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But did you know, and I think it escapes most people's notice, that they emphasize in those stories that they go along with all the events in Jesus' life and they're constantly quoting from the Old Testament prophets and they're saying, this is kind of the motif they use, especially in Matthew, he says this was done so that it fulfilled the prophet so-and-so when he said, and then he quotes from that prophet in the Old Testament. And so a lot of these Old Testament prophecies would be fairly cryptic, but we've got the New Testament author explaining what they said and what it was about and how Jesus fulfilled it. That helps dummies like us out a lot. We can figure it out. We can interpret it because we're getting help here from the New Testament authors, which I like. I, I love it when they do that. So this goes on throughout the uh, gospel accounts, and we see that the, the uh, New Testament authors are telling us that the Old Testament prophets had a futuristic prophetic message, a predictive message about Jesus, about the promised Messiah. And they want to point it out. That God planned this. He always knew about it. He had foreknowledge. And, and he sent Jesus in the world. It was God's plan. And he knew everything that was going to happen. And it was all predicted by the men that God sent hundreds of years before. Anywhere from 400 to a thousand years before Christ, these prophets came in and they all predicted what Jesus was, who he would be, and what he was going to do. And so, that twofold message of the prophets imminent judgment, but eventual redemption and restoration, and Jesus would be God's instrument to redeem and restore. And so, that's what we're focused on today. And when Jesus taught in the New Testament, he pointed this same thing out as well. In Luke 24, 27, after the resurrection, you know, Jesus hung around for 40 days teaching his disciples. And we're told in Luke 24 
that Jesus took his disciples and went through the Old Testament prophets with them and showed them, pointed out to them, opened it all up for them that everything they said was predicted of him. And their eyes were open and they were amazed that they didn't know this before. So Jesus taught his disciples that. And remember when Jesus early on in his ministry were told uh, when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he stood up in the synagogue, you know, on Saturday, on the Sabbath, and he read from the prophets. And then he made this bold statement that got him in a lot of trouble. He said, today these prophecies have been fulfilled in me. The people went, what? We know this guy he grew up here. He put my kitchen cabinets in. <laughs> and he's telling us that he's, he's the Messiah. He's the guy. We know his family. We know his parents. There is no way that he could be the guy. And so they yelled blasphemy and they took him and tried you know, to throw him over the cliff. But Jesus was clear about who he was. And so we also see it in the messages of his apostles, you know, like Paul and Peter, when he sent them out into the world after he had ascended to heaven, the first thing that Paul would do when he went on his missionary journeys, he would go in to each town and he would seek out if there was a synagogue, he would go into that synagogue and he would reason with the Jews there from the scriptures and show them how Jesus fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. And he would get a core group of, of people who converted and believed the gospel, and then he would go into the cities. So that was his method of operation. He, that was the first thing he always did was point out how the prophets all predicted that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, Peter also said, and by the way, Jesus, I just remember Jesus also told in John chapter 5 when he was arguing with the Pharisees and they said, are you claiming to be God? And he basically said, yeah. And then he gave them four proofs there in John 5 that he was. And the fourth one was, you guys claim to be obedient to the law of Moses? Moses wrote about me, Jesus said. And if you believed in Moses, if you really were obedient to Moses, you would believe in me. Because Moses wrote of me. Moses predicted Jesus all the way back when he wrote in 1400 B.C., Jesus said. So, Jesus' disciples also went. Peter, the apostle Peter, in 1 Peter, letter that he has in your New Testament, 1 Peter 1, verse 10 through 12, he wrote that the prophets spoke of the salvation Jesus would bring and he spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the resurrection. That's what the prophets wrote about. That's what the prophets predicted according to the apostle Peter. So, yes, Jesus' apostles, that was part of their method, part of their message of evangelism, especially to Jews. Look at your Old Testament. Look at the scriptures. The scriptures speak of Jesus. So let's see if we can also kind of go through, we're going to pay attention, particular attention to the Gospel of Matthew. 
So if you've got your Bibles there in front of you or your iPhones or your iPads, <laughs> open up to chapter 1. Chapter 1. I used to think, by the way, about a year ago, I'd be teaching and I'd see these people with their phones and I'd go, can you believe that rude person is texting on their phone or whatever? <laughs> and of course, I got humbled because I chewed somebody out and they went, oh, no, look. And it was, you know, the, the message that we were studying. So I, I apologize. But here we are, Matthew 1, verse 23. The, the virgin birth is quoted here, and it comes from, of course, Isaiah chapter 7. But here's, here's what it says every time they do this in, in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, now all this took place. The fact that Mary was with child by the Holy Spirit took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Do you see that? I mean, it's almost like, you know, God laid the whole plan out, and then they were just following the plan, every little thing they did in the life of Jesus, including Mary and Joseph. And here's, here's the prophecy, verse 23, Matthew 1, 23. Behold. The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, so this is not only a prophecy about the virgin birth, but also what we call the incarnation. What does that term mean, incarnation? It comes from a Latin word, but it means to put on the flesh, take on the flesh. And so Jesus, as God in heaven, took on the flesh. That's the incarnation. Well, here it is right here. Emmanuel, you know what that means in Hebrew? God with us. God with us. God with us as a human being. Isn't that wild? So here you are in one prophecy. The virgin birth and the incarnation. And then look at chapter 2, Matthew 2, verse 6. Not only that, where would he be born? Where would he be born? Well, they were from, they lived in Nazareth, so you'd think that would be it. Wrong. That's what they planned, but that's not what God planned. Because Remember the, the story about the census, that Caesar commanded everyone to return to kind of a city that their original family, the family of David on their account, was from, and there would be a census so they could, you know, put the taxes together. So they had to go to Bethlehem because that's the city of David. That's where David was from. And so they had to go to Bethlehem, and while they were there, that's when they had the child. And so you have there in Matthew 2, verse 5 and 6, the prophecy that, and you, Bethlehem, and this is from the prophet Micah, the minor prophet Micah, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And of course in verse 5 it says, this was spoken beforehand, written by the prophet. So again, laid out by God. Only God knew exactly how this was going to happen, but he let us know through the prophets. And then look at 2.18. You know the story about the, the magi or the wise men from the east, they came in and they knew about the prophecies of the king of Israel. And they wanted to know where it was, and so they came to Herod the Great and said, what did the prophet say about where he'll be born? 
And you remember what happened? Herod goes, I wasn't aware of this. What, the, what are they talking about? So they went and studied, and they came back, and they said that it would be in Bethlehem. Okay? And so then what happens? Herod says, I can't have any rivals. I'm the king. And so he was in the practice, if there's any rivals at all, uh, this is the way he won elections, he just killed them. <laughs> See, when there's nobody running against you and you're unopposed, you usually win. And that's, that was Herod's method. And so he sent his soldiers over there to kill all the, the young children. So everybody two years and younger, they killed. And so verse 18 is that prophecy. So verse 17 says, that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And then he quotes from Jeremiah the weeping and the wailing and the mourning from that area around Jerusalem, Ramah, weeping for her children. Okay? So they were attacked by Herod, and that was predicted by Jeremiah. Not only that, look backwards, look at verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. Also, how would Jesus escape this? He would be taken to Egypt. And so we know that he, he was taken off. The angel told his parents to go to Egypt until Herod dies, which he did. And that was all predicted by the prophet Hosea in Hosea 11 there. Okay, So you can just see as we go through every step of Jesus' life, it was all predicted by the Old Testament prophets. Now jump forward to, to chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. The ministry of the forerunner. Now Jesus has uh, grown up. He's about 30 years old. And he's going to begin his ministry. But the prophets had said that there would be a forerunner. He would look like Elijah the prophet. And he would have that message of repentance that Elijah had. And he would prepare the people for the Messiah. And so you can see this there in verse 3, Matthew 3, 3. For this is the one, talking about John the Baptist, referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he prepared the way for Jesus, the ministry of the forerunner. And then, of course, if you look at Luke 1.17 and John 1.21, you can see where it says he looked like Elijah, he had the ministry of Elijah, he was like Elijah, all right? Uh, so now look at uh, Matthew 4, verse 13 through 15. He begins his ministry. John the Baptist introduces him there at the uh, baptism there at the Jordan River. And he begins his ministry, and the prophets even predicted where he would minister. So in verse 14, look at verse 13 actually. He came and settled in Capernaum. Now that's a little fishing village on the north side, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And so he settled in Capernaum, which is by the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are the two tribes that settled in that area. This was to fulfill. See what he says in verse 14? The author's telling us it fulfilled this prophecy. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, by the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. 
So he likens Jesus to light shining in the darkness, right? So amazing, even where he was going to minister. And then uh, his healing ministry, if you look forward into Matthew 8, scroll down to Matthew 8, 17. He was healing these people right and left, and Matthew writes, this was done in order that was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. He himself, Jesus himself, took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. His healing ministry was predicted. And then Matthew 10, verse 35. We're told, we're, the prophets predicted, that Jesus, even though he was a man of peace, a man of love, a man offering salvation, his ministry was very divisive. Families would be split between believing in him and staying with the old traditional religion. And so in Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus says, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. Now that's shocking because we think that he did. And of course, he came to bring peace between God and man. But what he was saying is, I will divide people between whether they believe in me or don't believe. So he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword or, or division. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What's he saying? The message of the gospel divides families and households. And we know historically that that certainly happened in Jerusalem. When people came and believed in Christ, the, as the uh, apostles were in the city preaching the gospel, thousands believed in Jesus, and it divided up the families there in Jerusalem. And people disowned their children because of it. So in that sense... It was divisive. But it fulfilled the prophet Micah. Micah 7, verse 6. And then Matthew 11, verse 10. We see, again, speaking about John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus saying this this time. That he says, this is the one about whom it was written. Talking about the prophets wrote it. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Again, another prediction spoken even by Jesus about the ministry of John the Baptist. Now scroll to uh, Matthew 12, verse 18. In Matthew 12, uh, actually start with verse 17. You'll see a very shocking message, especially to Jesus' audience, which were all Jews at the time that the gospel was going to go out to the Gentiles as well. The gospel was going to go out to the Gentiles as well. And this predicted uh, by most of the prophets had said something about this. And of course, in particular, they're going to quote here from Isaiah. And so we see in verse 18, Behold, my servant whom I'm chosen, my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. You know, these are the words of God. Uh, at the transfiguration, uh, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And then in verse 21, again, 
in his, in his name, the Gentiles will also hope, find hope. And so Jesus' ministry would go out to the Gentiles and many of them would believe. Also in Matthew 12, look at verse uh, 39 and 40. In verse 39 through 40 is a message that Jesus points out was predicted through the prophet Jonah. So in Jonah 1.17, Jesus says Jonah was a type and what Jonah did actually pointed forward to what Jesus was going to do in the resurrection. And so they asked him for a sign, but Jesus said in verse 39, this evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, asks for a sign, yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah, the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so will Jesus be three days in the grave. Shocking. He, he told them, you know, this was what Jonah was a type of. In the same way Jonah, in a sense, died and then came back, so will Jesus be resurrected after three days. And so he predicted his uh, resurrection and pointed it out there in the Minor Prophets. Also, the fact you can see in Matthew 13, verse 35, another thing that surprised his audience, that Jesus began teaching in parables. These were short, fictitious stories that were incredibly cre creative and beautiful. And we, we all know the stories of the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the Rich Man and Lazarus, all these awesome stories, right? That really, you know what they do? They're fictitious stories about things we understand to point out spiritual truths that we don't understand. And that's why they were so creative and ingenious. And the prophet said that Jesus, the Messiah, would, would teach in parables. And so you see that in Matthew 13. They asked him, why do you teach in these parables? And he says, verse 35, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And so David in Psalm 78 said he would teach in parables. Now let's get forward. There's a whole bunch more. Don't have time. Running out of time. But let's go to the Passion Week. The Passion Week, you know, the last week of Jesus' life. So turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 4 and 5, we have Jesus' method of, you know, his entering the city of Jerusalem. You know, we call it Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Theologians call it his victorious or triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he'll be hailed as king. So you see there in Matthew 21, verse 4 and 5, that were quoted how he will come, seated on a donkey's colt. He'll come in, not in a gold chariot, not on a big steed or anything like that, but very humble. And, of course, he's quoting from Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah 9.9, we're told, the Zechariah the prophet said, Rejoice, Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous. And endowed with salvation. He gives salvation. He's humble 
and mounted on a donkey's colt. Now that's pretty wild stuff. A humble king, a righteous king who will provide salvation. He'll be gentle and humble. Anybody know anybody that fulfilled all that? I can't think of any other king but Jesus. Bold predictions that he fulfilled. And then in Matthew 26, about Judas, his betrayer, Matthew 26, verse 14 through 16, one of his disciples would betray him. And not only that, he would ask, what's it worth to you, to the Pharisee and the uh, priest? And then you can see in Matthew 27, 3, they said 30 pieces of silver. He would have remorse, come back and throw the 30 pieces of silver into the temple. Then they would take it and buy a potter's field where strangers could be buried. Now that's a lot of details. Come on. And yet, it all comes from Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Zechariah laid all that out. We looked at it last week and then again this week, and it happened in the gospel accounts. Amazing. The author quotes Zechariah 11, 12, and 13 saying it fulfilled it. Then Matthew 23, 39, Jesus' farewell to address, his farewell address to Jerusalem, he said, you shall not see me again until you say, talking about the second coming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So in other words, he knew he was going to die, but then he was going to come back. He predicted his own second coming. And then Matthew 27, the crucifixion that was predicted, I mean, just in detail by David in Psalm 22, uh, when it hadn't even been invented yet. Incredible. And then also his last words from the cross, why have you betrayed me, Lord? Why have you betrayed, why have you, he goes, what's that? Forsaken me. Thank you very much. Why have you forsaken me? These are the words that, that, Peter, that uh, David wrote in Psalm 22. And then the fact that he, his clothes were gambled for, again, that's to be found in uh, Isaiah 53, that he'd be between criminals, but he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, all prophesied, predicted, and fulfilled. Amazing. So all of the minor prophets we've been studying, I've been pointing it out week after week, predict all these things about the first coming. They also predict things about the second coming, right? They say that in the end times, there will be a time of judgment that they refer to as the day of the Lord. This will be the end. This will be, you know, those events that go into what we call Armageddon that you've all heard of. And they say at the end of that, Jesus will return. The king will return to reign and to rule, to set up his kingdom, and to reign and to rule. And of course, when you go through all the, the prophecies and predictions that came true in his first coming, it just makes sense that the prophecies about the second coming are pretty good odds that they'll come true as well, right? And, and the prophets like Zechariah, we looked at it last week, they had all kinds of predictions in Zechariah 12 through 14 about the second coming. Uh, 
John 19, verse 36 and 37, says that Jesus confirmed these, these, these prophecies and said, you know, the sheep will be scattered now, but later they'll all come back. And uh, when I come back, he tells them at the ascension, I'll be coming back to the same place. And so you have there in Acts chapter 1, his prediction, just like Zechariah said, Zechariah wrote that his feet would come back and touch down on where? The Mount of Olives, just outside the city of Jerusalem. And so we're looking for all that to happen. Now, I, looking through this audience, I see a few men that uh, are capable of making wagers. <laughs> Don't deny it. I, I know you too well. We have some odds makers here. And when you think about all these predictions that came true, you can't help but think, God, what are the odds of that? And so I thought, you know, there's supposed to be something like 300 prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus in the first coming. I haven't counted, so I'm going to take their word for it. But I thought I'd just throw out there about 15 of them and just put my view of what the odds are just for those 15 to come true in any one person. Let me go through them real quick. We're running out of time. Born of a Jew, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that's pretty broad, but I'm going to give it about five to one odds. Born of the tribe of Judah and the family of David. I'm going to go with 12 to one odds on that. Born of a virgin. I'm going to go with a million. I'm going to go with a million to one. I, I think they're probably infinite, but I'm going to go with a million to one on that one. Uh, born in Bethlehem. Uh, there's at least 40 little villages just in that area, so 40 to 1. Ministered in Galilee, 2 to 1 to be conservative. The incarnation, again, infinite odds. Let's go with a million to 1 that God would take on the flesh. Who would ever dream of that? Introduced by a prophet like Elijah, 10 to 1. A king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt and predicting exactly what the people would sing. I'm going to go with 100 to 1 on that. Betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. That's pretty wild. I'll be conservative though. 10 to 1 on that. Do you see how these are compounding? How many zeros are we going to end up with before I get through? A bunch. Uh, despised, rejected, beaten, humiliated, and killed, as Isaiah said, at least 10 to 1. Crucified. I'm going to go, should be a million to 1, but I'm going to go to 10 to 1. Uh, with criminals but buried in a rich man's tomb, 10 to 1. His words on the cross predicting exactly what they would be. Why have you forsaken me? 10 to 1. The resurrection, a million to 1. Rejected by Israel but worshipped by Gentiles, 10 to 1. Did anybody add all that up? So uh, There's a lot of zeros, right? A whole lot of zeros. I saw one guy wrote that it's like the same odds as if someone took a grain of sand and put a microscopic mark on that grain of sand, went up in an airplane over the Sahara Desert, dropped that grain of sand into the desert, and then a year later brought a guy in, blindfolded him, set him off wandering in the desert, and said, okay, now pick up one grain of sand. What are the odds that he would find that one grain that had been marked, not very good. Those are the same odds 
that Jesus would fulfill just 15 of these predictions. It's awesome. It's amazing when we think about it. So here's my conclusion. What does all this mean to me and you? What is this? Okay, that's great. What does it mean to us? Well, it means this. We know why Jesus came into the world, and now we know that he did without a doubt. So here's what it's about to me. When we stand before God, when we're all taken up on Judgment Day, we can receive what we deserve. We can receive justice, or we can receive mercy and grace. Those, those are the two opportunities. So that's the question. Do you want justice and retribution that goes with it, or do you want mercy and grace? Let me put it practically. When a cop stops you for speeding, do you want justice or mercy? <laughs> yeah, nobody wants that ticket. Or here's, here's to the men, the men in the audience. When you dated girls in, school, in high school, were you looking for a girl who looked like you or an attractive girl? Exactly. When you took tests in school that were multiple choice or true-false, did you want the grade you deserved or did you hope you got lucky? <laughs> Always love those deals. I might get lucky. <laughs> At Christmas time, do you want the gift you deserve or do you want the one you desire? Same thing. That's the question. So if you want grace and mercy. If you're like me and you don't want justice, you want grace and mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. I want grace and mercy. You want Jesus because that's God's provision for us to have that grace and mercy of God. And so if you're not sure, maybe you're here and you're undecided or you're not sure, you, you kind of think you believe in Jesus, but now's the time to step up and be sure. I'd, I'd invite you to pray along with me today because uh, <laughs> if you're not sure if you've ever done this, you need to get sure. You need to make sure because you never know how soon it will be too late. Stuff happens and we need to be sure. So pray along with me. Uh, as I pray, you pray silently. As I pray openly, Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. You send him in the world because we have a great need. We're sinners. We need to be forgiven. So, Lord, we admit that, and we'd like to ask you today to send Jesus into our life. We receive him as our Lord and Savior. And from this point on, we're going to walk with him and commit our lives to him. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've done that, either in the past or today, what's happened? You've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from poverty to riches, all by the free gift of God. By the grace of God, you've been saved and forgiven. And all done by belief and faith in God's provision. See you on February 4th.